Welcome to the NTEB Prophecy News Podcast with your host and Bible teacher, Jeffrey Greider. Rightly divided, dispensationally correct, and standing on the authority of the King James Holy Bible. This program is brought to you by NowTheEndBegins.com. And good afternoon, everybody. Happy... <laughs> oh, man. Hold on now. Got to do that again. Welcome to the NTEB Prophecy News Podcast with your host and Bible teacher, Jeffrey Greider. Rightly divided, dispensationally correct, and standing on the authority of the King James Holy Bible. This program is brought to you by NowTheEndBegins.com. And good afternoon, everybody. Happy Friday, and welcome to this edition of the Prophecy News Podcast today. A defiant Netanyahu says Israel will not have a ceasefire as Hezbollah chief Hassan Nasrallah threatens to enter the war. Since Hamas carried out the October 7th attacks on Israel, killing more than 1,400 people, Lebanon has been on edge, closely watching Hezbollah. The group has intensified its attacks on Israel, which is retaliating. But both sides have apparently taken steps to avoid a dangerous escalation, and most strikes have been limited to the border area. This, however, could change. After meeting Blinken, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said Israel, quote, refuses a temporary ceasefire that does not include a return of our hostages, end quote. Referring to some 240 people Hamas abducted during its attack, he said Israel was pressing ahead with this military offensive with all of its power. Jeremiah 22:23. O inhabitant of Lebanon, that makest thy nest in the cedars, how gracious shall thou be when thy pangs come upon thee, the pain as of a woman in travail. That's Jeremiah twenty-two twenty-three. On this episode, the global community is very much on edge right now, and for good reason. Hamas has proven themselves to be a very tricky adversary, and indeed did more damage to Israel in a single day than any other day since the Holocaust. Can Israel beat Hamas? Sure they can, but it will take time. Hezbollah, on the other hand, is much more powerful than Hamas, with 100 times the munitions provided to them from Iran and Syria. A two-front war for Israel against both Hamas and Hezbollah would require the participation of the United States, who is already in position, but where does that take us? It delivers us right to the doorstep of the front lines of the end times, All this and more on today's Prophecy News Podcast. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for all these that you've gathered here, everybody listening live and uh, the people listening in the archives. And we thank you, God, for such an amazing increase in listeners over the past couple of months. And uh, Lord, today we pray for lost souls. Lulu is asking prayer for unsaved family members. Miles and his family need to be saved. Kathy and Dennis Giacomino say, please pray for Dennis, Michelle, Lorenzo, Roman, Gianna, Jessica, Sophia, Justin, Blondie, Giovanni, Luca, Dominic, Deb, Maurice, Courtney, Josh, Gabe, Haley, Emma, 
Amy, Rochelle, Dan, Evie, Lincoln, Felicia, Ethan, Bob, Stacy, Lauren, Andrew, and Karen. Dawn D says, please pray for David. Paul Caulfield, salvation for his father, Fred, and his brother-in-law, Frank. Ramona Hayes is asking prayer for daughter Kimberly for salvation and deliverance from alcohol. Also, salvation prayers for grandchildren, William, Jason, David, and Amanda, and their families. Patrick is praying for Jack and Aaron. Chelsea B. praying for her ex-husband, his parents, his sister, and her husband. Adam praying for wife Shanna. And Lori B. needs to get saved. People who need a healing today. Annetta for a complete healing after having a stroke. Daniel in Australia. Please pray for a healing in my marriage, God's blessing on my kids, recovery from various health issues for my wife and myself, and to be able to find a good Bible-believing church. Marcia Swanson has a neuroimmune disease. George H. has health issues. James Rivette, recovering from addiction and mental health issues. Robert Wiley has ALS disease. Jill Puckett is losing her vision. Paul Caulfield, type 1 sugar diabetes. Ron Alliston is battling cancer. Brooke Kettlecamp, attempting to um, recover from autism. And she's getting better, says her mom, Cindy. Krista has a massive tumor in her chest wrapped around five of her ribs. Dan Kane, please pray for my wife, Roxy, with MS and for son, Jonathan. Rob says, my friend Mike has MS. Please keep him on the list. Ida Karulik has cancer. Mark Seals for numerous health issues. Roz has asthma and scoliosis. Tony is blind, has cancer, and his wife is divorcing him. Maddie Luck has Luli body dementia, and her daughter um, Michelle has fibromyalgia and neuropathy. Tracy says, I have severe arthritis in my spine, diabetes type 2, fatty liver, and neuropathy. Catherine B., she wants prayer that one day she can get off of dialysis. And when she listens to these podcasts, she's lying on a hospital table and she is receiving dialysis. Um, And what a blessing that is that she tunes in and listens anyway. Um, Amen. Michelle Christian has bone cancer. Julie's grandmother, Wilma, um, has a spot on her lungs. Melissa B.'s husband, Brian, has stage three kidney disease. Ricky Gooder needs prayer for her eyesight. Callie C. has been diagnosed with lupus, and her nephew, Ezra, has a tumor behind his eye. Jane says, please pray for the salvation of my parents and my brother, and my husband, who is suffering from schwannoma tumor, along his spine. And uh, I had never heard of that before. I had to Google that. Uh, But that is a tumor that grows along the nerves on your spine. Brooke's sister, Ashley, has MS. Char says, please pray for son-in-law's mom. Had a bad stroke. Her name is Ramona. Jackie H., please pray for God's favor regarding my ex in custody of my son. Vladimir's friend Katka suffers from ALS and needs prayer for a healing. Ladies who are expecting, my daughter Megan Burton, Terry Bryant's daughter Jillian, Shira Shine's daughter-in-law, Cindy and Steve Britt's granddaughter Taylor, who is scheduled to give birth um, in about a week, 
uh, Christy Ireland, Char's daughter Miranda, Sandra Carbonera's daughter Jordan, and Stephanie Juliana and her sister Christina are both pregnant as well. Uh, we're praying for Larry, who's embedded with the SEALs in the Middle East, and we're praying for Justin as well. Mark Saxa would like prayer for his son Joseph to return to the Lord. Uh, Leslie needs prayer that the Lord will order and reorder an urgent financial situation. Brenda, please pray for my husband, Mike, who is an alcoholic, to get say, to get sober. He is saved. Uh, Jan Lacker, um, she is going through a possible divorce, and we're praying for her and her kids and her husband. Uh, Char says, please pray for our jail ministry to be restarted again through our church here in Coquille, Oregon. Linda would like prayer for her son Stephen to return to the Lord. And Richard Herrera wants prayer to be able to understand better what he reads in God's Word. You know what the Bible says in Acts chapter 8? If you remember the story of the Ethiopian eunuch, the very first person to get saved in the age of grace was not Paul. Did salvation by grace through faith alone come before the Apostle Paul? Well, if Acts chapter 8 is true, it absolutely did. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, talking about Stephen, And Saul, he was not a saved man at this time, was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Verse 3 says, And as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. So, did the age of grace start with Paul? Nope, it did not. Uh, The very first person to get saved by grace through faith alone was the Ethiopian eunuch. Acts 8.26, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him, and heard him read the prophet Isaiah. And said, and I said all that to say this, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. So Richard Herrera is asking prayer that he would be able to better understand God's word. And this is why we have Bible study. This is exactly what Acts chapter 8 is showing you. New Testament, Body of Christ, Church Age, Bible Study. Uh, That is the biblical way. Paul said to Timothy that you remember everything um, that I 
told you, that I showed you. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. This is why we do four hours of Bible study every week. This is why we do a two-hour Sunday service. This is why we do uh, four hours of podcasting every week. Because we are um, carrying out the New Testament commandment to learn the scriptures. And then after you have learned them, to teach them to other people. Have you noticed how much Bible study we sneak into the podcast? That's intentional. That's not an accident. That's not a coincidence. Um, Everything that we do, when you get to the heart of it, it's a Bible study. So, Heavenly Father, for all of these prayers and for the unspoken prayers of our hearts, we come before you. We thank you. We praise you. We commit this time to you. For everybody on the list that needs to be saved, Lord, please save them. For those hundred kids that we gave um, all those gospel tracts to on Halloween, Lord, we pray that that would bear much fruit for you. And uh, we pray for the kids who will read them and the parents who, well, they probably read them by now. But we pray for the children, we pray for the parents, we pray for our witness in our neighborhood. And Lord, we pray for the lukewarm Laodiceans who attacked and said that we had no business handing out gospel tracts and candy on Halloween because it was the devil's holiday. They said we had no business doing that. You know what D.L. Moody said? D.L. Moody said, I look upon this world as a wrecked vessel. And when Moody said that, they weren't celebrating Halloween. There was no door-to-door candy collection. But Moody said, I look upon this world as a wrecked vessel. God has given me a lifeboat and said, Moody, save all you can. God has given us a lifeboat too. It's called Now the End Begins. And we go to the entire world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul in Acts 26, 18, he was given a commission to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. You know what type of Christian on Halloween locks their doors and turns off their lights as hundreds of children are walking past with their hands out? You know what type of Christian hides in a darkened house? A Laodicean Christian. You know what somebody who cared about lost souls would do? They would hand out a piece of candy, hand out a gospel track, and say, thank you for stopping by. Moody said, I look upon this world as a wrecked vessel. God has given me a lifeboat and said, Moody, 
save all you can. And Heavenly Father, uh, we ask you, Lord, that you would let us be a gospel light in the closing hours of the church age. The world has gotten much worse than it was in the time of Moody. And Lord, we still have that same commission from the Apostle Paul, that same mandate to teach these things that we have heard in the Bible, commit them to faithful men so that they will be able to teach others also. And we accept that charge, we accept that, that, that course, and God, we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As is our custom, whenever we have a birthday, we wish that person um, a very happy birthday. And today, we wish our brother and pastor of the uh, King James Bible Baptist Church in New York City, Pastor Brian Kelly, a very happy birthday. Amen. Amen. Happy birthday, Brother Brian Kelly. And uh, if you remember, just a couple of weeks ago, we sent Pastor Brian at his um, second floor storefront church up there in New York City. Uh, We sent him a thousand King James Bibles to help him in the ministry that God has called him to do. He received those bio, those Bibles. Um, and I remember when they were at the bookstore visiting with us and when he asked us if uh, his church could take advantage of the free Bible program and I told him, how many Bibles do you need? And he said, about a thousand Bibles. And we were able to send those Bibles to him. And uh, what a blessing that that is. Please pray for the work that God has called uh, Pastor Brian Kelly to do in New York City. Uh, Please pray for our free Bible program. At the top of the hour, I'm going to have a a, a Bibles Behind Bars update for you. Uh, But we are coming up on 150,000. King James Bibles, New Testaments, and Gospel Tracts, and Scripture, not Gospel, uh, Scripture portions um, that we have handed out just since 2021. And uh, that is a huge blessing. And at the top of the hour, I'm going to have an update for you on the Bibles Behind Bars program. Lots of things happening. The Lord is working and moving through us, through all of us. And uh, we are very, very glad that he continues to give us something to do.
Um, let's catch up with the events of the past couple of days. Take a listen to this from Jason A. War declared on Israel. Yeah, of course not. And the United States, whether we like it or not, we are part of this war. Yeah. Because if we don't show power, you know, we, we are going to be next. Yeah, in fact, this Hamas, Iran, Russia is aiming at the United States through Israel. So we all realize this uh, problem. In fact, I would like to see more presence of the United States, more military presence. I'm not talking about military action. There is a big difference between having the presence that we are here, we are ready. And if you dare to launch a missile from Iran or from Hezbollah, we are going to hit you and we're going to hit you very hard. So this just waving the stick. I'm not saying to take part. could prevent us from a regional war, right. could prevent us from World War III. We are going straight to the news that's breaking at nine. Yemen's Houthis have joined the Israel-Palestine war. Houthis say they have launched a large number of drones and missiles towards Israel, adding that the attacks will continue until, quote-unquote, Israeli aggression does. This is the Houthi spokesperson, Yaya Sarya. With the help of God, our armed forces have launched a large barrage of ballistic and cruise missiles, as well as a significant number of drones at various targets of the Israeli army in the occupied territories. Israel has warned of a possible hostile aircraft intrusion. It also said that a surface-to-surface missile was fired from an area of the Red Sea. In response, for the first time in this war, Israel has used its long-range arrow air defense system. Israeli troops have also entered Hamas's vast network of tunnels in Gaza. As of 9 p.m. IST and 5.30 p.m. local time, Israel claims it has begun attacking Hamas operatives inside the tunnel. Here's the paradox. As Israeli defense forces zero in on their prime target, the tunnel, the war is expanding and pulling in more regional players. Where is this headed? And where is the end? Saudi Arabia's military is on high alert after deadly clashes with Yemen's Iran-backed Houthi rebels. I want to bring our, our reporter out of Riyadh, Sam Dagger, joins me on the program. Sam, a pleasure to have you. Walk us through what actually happened in Saudi Arabia. Why do we care when we're paying attention to the Israel-Hamas war? Absolutely. Good morning to you and your viewers. Uh, basically, I mean, before all of this, uh, there was a... a a tentative truce in place between Saudi Arabia and the Houthi rebels who are backed by Iran in neighboring Yemen. And Saudi Arabia was actually holding direct negotiations with the Houthis uh, to forge a permanent ceasefire and end uh, this war that started eight years ago when Saudi Arabia went in to restore the you know, the internationally recognized government of Yemen that was ousted by the Houthis. And then obviously everything changed on October 7th when Hamas attacked Israel. Uh, You had uh, the Houthi leader uh, a few days later come out and make a speech in which he uh, praised Hamas, uh, identified himself as part of the so-called axis of resistance uh, that's backed by Iran. These are different uh, militia groups in the region that are backed by Iran and said that he would uh, uh, do everything to help Hamas. He said all military options were being considered, particularly if the U.S. Uh, steps in and supports Israel. And then on October 19th, the Houthis fired a, a barrage of cruise missiles and drones 
uh, northward uh, into the uh, direction of Israel. And uh, a lot of these were intercepted by a U.S. destroyer in the Red Sea. And one of these missiles was inter- intercepted by Saudi defenses, but the Saudis did not disclose this. And then we yeah. had last week, you know, the classes in which four Saudi soldiers were killed. Iran and Saudi Arabia have agreed to re-establish diplomatic relations and reopen embassies within two months after years of tensions. The surprise agreement was brokered by China, which hailed it as a victory for dialogue and peace. The restoration of ties offers hope for peace in Yemen, where Saudi Arabia has led a coalition against the Iranian-backed Houthis. Because the Saudis and the Iranians have been embroiled in a rivalry that has taken on fractious uh, components across the region... But, and this is a really important point, I think, it doesn't bring an end to all of the other points of conflict and division across the region. There are still local drivers of conflict in Lebanon, in Yemen, in Syria, and these will not be addressed by the broader diplomatic uh, rapprochement between Riyadh and Tehran. We hope that this new chapter will end the stalemate in relations of the last seven years and lead to greater stability and safety in the region. So there you have an update of all the events that took place in the last week. But today, over in Lebanon, the leader, one of the leaders of Hezbollah, Hassan Nasrallah, well, he gave a pre-recorded fiery speech, and it's pre-recorded because he knows that if he steps out anywhere close to public, he's going to be assassinated by Israel. Uh, So he gave a pre-recorded speech today, um, and he said, We are ready for your fleets with which you threaten us. In the event of a regional war, your interests and soldiers will be the victim and the biggest loser. We have made preparations for the American ships, and we ask America to remember their defeats in Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, and Lebanon. So the Hezbollah leader said that what happened on October 7th was 100% a Palestinian operation and Hezbollah was not involved on any level. Uh, Take a listen to this. For more on this story, we can go across to Rawad uh, Taha, standing by in Beirut. Uh, Rawad, I know that uh, Hassan Nasrallah is still speaking, but what's he been saying? I think the main points that uh, Hassan Nasrallah has mentioned uh, up until now in his uh, a very long uh, speech is that first uh, he did mention uh, or hinted that Hezbollah and Iran uh, were not aware of uh, the timing of the operation that uh, Hamas was going to conduct uh, this operation. So specifically, they mentioned uh, he mentioned that they had no uh, intel on the timing of the uh, operation. Uh, second of all, he mentioned that when it comes to the Lebanese front that everyone is asking when will uh, Hezbollah get involved in uh, this war. Uh, He mentioned that Hezbollah has been part of this war since October 8. So Hezbollah, according to Nasrallah, is part of the war. When it comes to further escalation down on the Lebanese front, he mentioned that uh, 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 Hezbollah has been already uh, attacking the Israeli military sites and uh, thus uh, uh, shifting uh, the focus of the Israeli military from only uh, the Gaza front to uh, the Lebanese front as well and thus trying to Uh, limit the Israeli army uh, focus on Gaza. This is according to his words. However, he did uh, mention that the current confrontations at the border 
may actually uh, increase in intensity without further clarifying any details. Uh, exactly. He used the word that he used the word that uh, we are not sure of how things could uh, develop, and uh, we are not yet satisfied with uh, to what to what we could possibly we have more on the table still available. Yeah, that, that's what he said. What's happening on the Lebanese front won't be all without clarifying what exactly he means by that. Uh, uh, Rawa, talk us through how people are likely to react to this speech. To some extent, uh, this is uh, this speech has been uh, very much expected by a lot of people, uh, especially over the past few days, uh, given the fact that Hezbollah called on people to rally uh, in the streets and in different locations, as we were seeing in the live uh, in the live feed. Um, it seems that this was the option, keeping this ongoing uh, limited confrontation on the borders of southern Lebanon going without possibly dragging Lebanon into a full-scale uh, war. Uh, definitely, there is a great opposition from a number of uh, political parties in Lebanon and as well as the Lebanese people to even uh, these uh, current confrontations, people calling on Hezbollah to uh, stop its attacks on Israel, not give Israel uh, a reason for it to attack Lebanon on a wider scale. While, of course, Hezbollah has its supporters who are uh, defending uh, the choice and claiming that uh, such attacks are in support of the civilians in uh, Gaza. So we have two sides of the, of the story in Lebanon, but a lot of people, including uh, Hezbollah supporters, don't want a full-scale war. Rawa, thank you very much for that. Rawa Taha reporting there for us from Beirut. So that's what you have. Hezbollah leader Hassan Nasrallah, that's what he talked about today. He did not give the fiery charge to commit Hezbollah troops. Um, He really kind of gave a very, very middle-of-the-road response. So at this time, Hezbollah has no stated intention of joining Israel's war against Hamas. Uh, But you never know. A lot of the times they say that, oh yeah, we're not going to do that. And that means that they're actually getting ready to do that very shortly. So uh, we will continue to keep an eye on events that are taking place on the northern border of Israel in the Golan Heights. And we have to keep an eye on Iran. We have to keep an eye on Syria. Definitely, we have to keep an eye on uh, Lebanon. And um, certainly Israel has gotten to the point now where they have Gaza City surrounded and they have been attacking for the last 28, 29 days from air, sea and land. And it's been a relentless night and day around the clock, brutal assault on Hamas and they're paying a high price for it. Um, Close to 50 IDF soldiers have already died in the fighting, Uh, not to mention the 1,400 Israelis that died on October 7th or the 241 Israelis who are still being held captive by Hamas. Now, at the same time that Nasrallah was giving his pre-recorded speech, Antony Blinken from the United States, the Secretary of State, uh, was in Israel meeting with Benjamin Netanyahu. And um, this is what Netanyahu had to say after that meeting was over 
and he's speaking Hebrew, so listen through the interpreter what Netanyahu had to say um, after meeting with Antony Blinken, talking about a ceasefire. Our forces are working in all the arenas and all places. Our victory will be loud and clear. It will pass the message to the enemies, one that will echo for generations. The enemy wants to destroy the state of Israel, and I tell you, and I tell them, our enemies will fail. They will be defeated. We will not stop until victory and until we reach all of the goals that we have decided about. Eradicating Hamas, bringing back the, those kidnapped and bringing back security for ourselves and our children. Our fighters are courageously fighting in difficult fights, face to face. They kill terrorists all the time. They work on the ground with continuous striking from the air by the Air Force against Hamas ISIS. In the north, I say again to our enemies, don't make a mistake about us. A mistake will cost you dearly. A mistake will cost you such a price that you can't even imagine. At the same time, we continue to work on the diplomatic arena. I met this morning with Secretary of State Anthony Blinken. I appreciate his visit here. I appreciate the continuous support of President Biden, the American administration, and the American people. I showed to the Secretary of State, a movie, a video from the uh, cameras that were there on the Gaza border. And one of the terrible things is the two brothers seeing their father being uh, murdered, and one of them loses his sight. He calls his mother. He calls for his mother, and those are just some of the horrors in that video. I made it clear that we will continue with all the force and we refuse to any, any human, any ceasefire that will not include the liberation of our hostages. We will all right, so there you have Benjamin Netanyahu saying just about an hour and a half ago, live from Israel, through the interpreter, we will not engage in any ceasefire that does not involve the return of our hostages. And we've told you multiple times already, Israel is in a really, really tough spot right now. Not tough because they have to fight Hamas. That's actually the easy part. Firing up the jet planes and sending out the soldiers, they are absolutely... prepared for that. They have a protocol. They are highly trained. They have some of the best military equipment anywhere on the face of the earth. The Israeli Navy and the Israeli Air Force um, is unbelievably powerful and well-trained. And so the easiest part of this whole thing, comparatively speaking, if you understand how I mean that, it's not easy to go and fight Hamas, not at all. But compared to the other things that are happening, it's it's the easy part. 
take a listen to um, City of New York University professor Mark Lamont Hill giving a fiery speech in praise of Hamas. Now, you probably don't spend a lot of time listening to CNN and MSNBC and all those other bottom feeder um, fake news outlets, but if you did, you would know the name Mark Lamont Hill. Very well-spoken, highly educated college professor, very, very far-left liberal, and He has been on all the talk shows. He's on Fox News all the time. Um, This is what Mark Lamont Hill, speaking on campus at the City of New York University just a couple of days ago, this is the speech that he gave to college students on campus. The truth is that history didn't start on October 7th. have been catching hell for over a hundred years. That for a hundred years, there's been a settler colonial project. For 75 years, there's been ethnic cleansing. We gotta tell the truth about that. Tonight, we demand a ceasefire. Tonight, we demand that no more Palestinian children are killed. Tonight, we demand that no more hospitals are crumbled. Tonight, we demand that no more schools are broken down. It is a violation of international law. It is a violation of human decency. I ain't seen a democracy yet. It ain't here. Not if students can't be in SJP without getting smeared and doxxed. So... What has Mark Lamont Hill all fired up and all riled up? Well, Hamas is getting beaten very badly. They have lost about, I don't know, three or four thousand of their, I don't want to call them soldiers, their terrorists is what they are. And now Gaza City is surrounded on all sides Um, Israel has taken it by the sea, by land, and from the air. And now all these people who hate the Jewish people, who hate the nation of Israel, who do not want to see Jewish people living in peace on Jewish land, um, they are calling very passionately, very loudly and very actively for Israel to have a ceasefire. Over in the Muslim country of England, and if you live in England, you know that I'm telling the truth. I have family who live in England. So don't tell me about what's going on in jolly old England. But if you have family who live in the Muslim-occupied country of England, then you know what's really happening over there. Things are so bad, and I'm going to read this to you from the express.co.uk website. Calls for army to be drafted in for the million-strong Palestine march on Remembrance Day. Um, Over in England, they have something that's called Remembrance Day. 
and it's primarily to remember um, the soldiers who died in the Great War, that's World War I, um, but they also remember um, all soldiers that have fought to keep England free. Uh, England is no longer a free nation. Uh, they are controlled by Muslims. And, um, uh, I mean, they still have their parliament. They still have their king. They still have their form of government. But from a practical perspective, day-to-day life in England has been absolutely dominated and taken over by Um, And we talked about this on the podcast on Monday. We talked about uh, Muslim dominance, and um, uh, that's exactly what's taking place in London, the home of the King James Bible. And reading from this article, it says, An MP has called for the military to be drafted in to keep the peace in London after it emerged Pro-Palestinian protesters are organizing a million-strong march on Remembrance Day. The Palestinian Solidarity Campaign has announced its plans to continue protests in response to Israel's Hamas retaliation. Uh, Coaches are now being organized from northern towns like Dewsbury, Batley, Leicester, with a demand for activists to help make this the biggest march in history. The planned day of the protest, no coincidence, November 11th, will clash directly with this year's Remembrance Day and will come a day before the annual Cenotaph Memorial for um, Remembrance Day. So, on the exact same day that England is going to remember the, the men and women that fought to keep them free, the friends of Hamas, the terrorists that live within England's borders, who do not want to see England continue to be a free nation, and as we told you, they are functionally not a free nation. Have you ever watched the videos on on Twitter? The police don't even have um, guns anymore. They're not allowed to carry guns. When they try to arrest somebody, the criminals laugh at them. And unless the cops are really, really much bigger than the criminals that they're trying to arrest... Um, they are unable, they are unable to make the arrest. And um, so this November 11th on Remembrance Day, the Friends of Hamas are organizing a one million strong march. Now, will they be able to get one million people? Probably not, but... I told you just on Monday that they were able to raise up 100,000 people in a 24-hour notice to come out into the streets and protest. And they do not want Israel defending themselves. They do not want Hamas to be beaten. And so 
At the start of all this, I told you that the easy part, the easy part for Israel was fighting Hamas, which is not easy. But compared to fighting the world, the United Nations, the court of public opinion, it is much easier to fight Hamas than to do all those things. Um, I played a clip for you on Monday, and I want to play it again. And this is a clip about, it's called, um, How Changing Muslim Demographics Have Changed the Face of Europe Forever. And this clip goes all the way back to 2005. It's 18 years old. And I want you to listen to what this clip said would happen in the future if something didn't change. Well, something did not change. And everything that this clip talks about is reality in Europe today. Take a listen to how Muslim demographics are changing the face of Europe forever. According to research, in order for a culture to maintain itself for more than 25 years, there must be a fertility rate of 2.11 children per family. With anything less, the culture will decline. Historically, no culture has ever reversed a 1.9 fertility rate. A rate of 1.3, impossible to reverse. Because it would take 80 to 100 years to correct itself. And there is no economic model that can sustain a culture during that time. In other words, if two sets of parents each have one child, there are half as many children as parents. If those children have one child, then there are one-fourth as many grandchildren as grandparents. If only a million babies are born in 2006, it's hard to have two million adults enter the workforce in 2026. As the population shrinks, so does the culture. As of 2007, the fertility rate in France was 1.8, England 1.6, Greece 1.3, Germany 1.3, Italy 1.2, Spain 1.1. Across the entire European Union of 31 countries, the fertility is a mere 1.38. Historical research tells us these numbers are impossible to reverse. In a matter of years, Europe as we know it will cease to exist. Yet the population of Europe is not declining. Why? Immigration. Islamic immigration. Of all population growth in Europe since 1990, 90% has been Islamic immigration. France, 1.8 children per family. Muslims, 8.1. In southern France, traditionally one of the most populated church regions in the world, there are now more mosques than churches. 30% of children ages 20 and younger are Islamic. In the larger cities such as Nice, Marseille and Paris, that number has grown to 45%. By 2027, 
one in five Frenchmen will be Muslim. In just 39 years, France will be an Islamic Republic. In the last 30 years, the Muslim population of Great Britain rose from 82,000 to 2.5 million, a 30-fold increase. There are over 1,000 mosques, many of them former churches. In the Netherlands, 50% of all newborns are Muslim, and in only 15 years, half of the population of the Netherlands will be Muslim. In Russia, there are over 23 million Muslims. That's one out of five Russians. 40% of the entire Russian army will be Islamic in just a few short years. Currently in Belgium, 25% of the population and 50% of all newborns are Muslim. The government of Belgium has stated one-third of all European children will be born to Muslim families by 2025, just 17 years away. The German government, the first to talk about this publicly, recently released a statement saying, the fall in the German population can no longer be stopped. Its downward spiral is no longer reversible. It will be a Muslim state by the year 2050. Muammar al-Qaddafi of Libya said, there are signs that Allah will grant victory to Islam in Europe without swords, without guns, without conquest. We don't need terrorists. We don't need homicide bombers. The 50-plus million Muslims in Europe will turn it into a Muslim continent within a few decades. There are currently 52 million Muslims in Europe. The German government said that number is expected to double in the next 20 years to 104 million. Closer to home, the numbers tell a similar story. Right now, Canada's fertility rate is 1.6, nearly a full point below what is required to sustain a culture. And Islam is now the fastest growing religion. Between 2001 and 2006, Canada's population increased by 1.6 million, 1.2 of those immigration. In the United States, the current fertility rate of American citizens is 1.6. With the influx of the Latino nations, the rate increases to 2.11, the bare minimum required to sustain a culture. In 1970, there were 100,000 Muslims in America. Today, there are over 9 million. The world is changing. It's time to wake up. Three years ago, a meeting of 24 Islamic organizations was held in Chicago. The transcripts of that meeting showed in detail their plans to evangelize America through journalism, politics, education, and more. They said, we must prepare ourselves for the reality that in 30 years, there will be 50 million Muslims living in America. The world that we live in is not the world in which our children and grandchildren will live. The Catholic Church recently reported that Islam has just surpassed their membership numbers. Some studies show that at Islam's current rate of growth, in five to seven years, it will be the dominant religion of the world. As believers, 
we call upon you to join the effort to share the gospel message with the changing world. This is a call to action. Well, that was a call to action back in 2005. And sadly, very, very few people responded to that call. Now, here's a fun fact. Back in 2009, when Now the End Begins started, there was 1.3 billion people who were practicing Muslims. 1.3 billion. Today, there are 1.8 billion practicing Muslims. One point, so it's an increase of 500 million Muslims if I have that right, yes, 500 million Muslims in just the last 14 years. 1.8 billion. Now, you want to hear something staggering? The Catholic Church is 1.3 billion. You heard in this video that I just played, the audio that I just played for you, that guy in 2005 was talking about someday there's going to be more Muslims even than Catholics. Well, today there's 4.800 million more Muslims than Roman Catholics on the face of the earth. Catholicism is nowhere even close to being the largest religion in the world. Um, Islam outpaces them by nearly 500 million people. And so, I can remember back in the early days of our ministry that when I would do articles and I would play that clip for people, um, people would say that I was being uh, uh, xenophobic and I was being racist and to make all these crazy, paranoid, unfounded claims about the rise of Islam. But in 2023, what do we see? We see Islam has taken over places like England. Uh, here in America, 2.8 million illegal immigrants came across the American border in 2023. 2.8 million unchecked, unpapered, illegal migrants. How many of them are Muslim? How many of them are members of things like the Palestinian um, uh Islamic Jihad. How many of them are members of Hamas or Hezbollah? We have no way of knowing. No way of knowing at all. So, that audio that you just heard, we haven't gotten to 2050 yet. That audio was made in 2005 and here it is 2023. And Many of the things that they said would happen by this point, like Islam becoming larger than the Roman Catholic Church, uh, that is absolutely true. And Islam is so much larger that the Catholic Church will never, will never and can never 
catch up to them now. Speaking of the Catholic Church, we did an article yesterday. Pope Francis, he is calling for a shift, a paradigm shift in Roman Catholic theology. And this is what he said. Theology can only develop in a culture of dialogue and encounter between different traditions and different knowledge, between different Christian confessions and different religions, like Buddhism, openly engaging with everyone, believers and non-believers, the Pope wrote in the Apostolic Letter. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, if you know anything at all, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you know anything at all about Bible doctrine, theology is not developed in a culture of dialogue and encounter between different religions and unbelievers. Theology is developed as you read God's preserved word. You read it, you believe it, you understand it, you rightly divide it, and you apply it. So, the leader of the world's second largest religion, Pope Francis, he wants to change everything that the Roman Catholic Church does in order to let in Buddhists and Baha'i and Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and Protestants and Charismatics and Evangelicals and Atheists. Um, He wants to open the floodgates and change. Now, look, they're already teaching a corrupt doctrine. Um, Mary doesn't hear your prayers. The Eucharist is not the body of Jesus Christ. That wine that they drink is not his shed blood. Um, And they can worship the body parts of these people that they have called saints all they want. All that non-biblical and unbiblical crap. But none of that has anything to do with the Bible. So in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says this. He's going to give Timothy another charge. Um, Paul says to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 1, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned Unto fables. Take a listen as the star of the Sound of Freedom movie and the star of the Passion of the Christ, Jim Caviezel, wants you to acknowledge Mary as the Savior. Take a listen. The Passion reveals the obvious, very obvious biblical truth that Mary, like no other, shared in the suffering of her son as co-redemptrix 
As St. Teresa of Calcutta exclaimed, Of course Mary is the co-redemptrix. She gave Jesus his body. And the offering of his body is what saved us. The scenes of the Passion profoundly depict Our Lady's role as co-redemptrix with Jesus. In fact, a well-known Italian journalist stated that the Passion of the Christ could also have been justifiably called the story of Mary co-redemptrix. For example, in the film, it is Mary alone who understands when Jesus has been arrested that, quote, it has begun. What has begun? The unified mission of Jesus, the Redeemer, and Mary, the co-redemptrix to redeem the world. When Mary walks the way of the cross with Jesus, she stands opposite Satan. She is his opponent. Mary's role with Jesus to crush the head of Satan is powerfully dramatized. In the Calvary scene, the dying Redeemer gives his own mother to become the spiritual mother of all peoples when he says from the cross, Behold your mother, John 19, 27. And in the final scene, Mary becomes a living Pieta, holding the dead body of her divine son. She looks to us all as our loving co-redemptrix who suffered in union with Jesus and calls us all to appreciate the price of our redemption. There are a lot of deep theological truths that Mel Gibson wove into the passion of the Christ. In this chaotic, confused age, ladies and gentlemen, we need truth. And it is true that Mary is the co-redemptrix, mediatrix of all graces, and advocate for all humanity. It is my hope, it is my prayer, that the Pope will proclaim this truth as a Marian dogma so that every single living human being will know that they have a spiritual mother that loves them and who will intercede to bring them to Jesus, their true Savior. Now, why is this necessary if the truth of Mary is already the truth? Why does it need a papal proclamation? Well, look at the moment in Scripture when Jesus asked the apostles, Who do they say that I am? Ladies and gentlemen, believe me when I say to you, Jesus was not having an identity crisis. He knew who he was, but he wanted the truth proclaimed. When Simon Peter announced the truth, that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, then and only then did Jesus found the church and the papacy on the rock of Peter, the first pope. I believe Jesus wants the full truth about his mother Mary, that she is this world's spiritual mother. She is the co-redemptrix. She is the mediatrix to be proclaimed by the present Pope, so that our mother can utilize her full power of intercession. All right, that's enough out of you, Jim Caviezel, star of The Passion of the Christ and star of Sound of Freedom movie. And uh, this is where we are in 2023. 
You know, it's funny. He gave that whole long speech about how Jesus wants his mother to be proclaimed as the co-mediatrix. And yet, in the Bible, he didn't say anything of the kind. In fact, when Jesus was on the cross, when he was getting ready to die for the sins of the whole world, what did Jesus say to Mary? He said, Woman, behold thy son. Son, behold thy mother. If Jesus wanted Mary to be proclaimed to be anything remotely approaching a co-redemptrix, that would have been the perfect time for him to say that. John chapter 19. John chapter 19. Verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his, his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleophas and of Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple, that's John, standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his own home. Now, ask yourself this question. The Holy Spirit used the Apostle John to write the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, as well as the book of Revelation. And all that time... Mary is living in John's house. Don't you think John would have mentioned, referred to, implied, alluded to, <laughs> in some way, on some level, if Mary was the co-redemptrix, when the woman is living in his house? Now, of course, what happened on the cross. John is a type of the church. And Mary, she is a type of a faithful church goer. She does what God asked her to do. She is faithful, absolutely faithful. As a role model, Mary is a wonderful role model for women. Absolutely. But when Jesus says to Mary from the cross, Behold thy son, talking about John, and he says to John, Behold thy mother, with an exclamation point, that is showing you that Mary is a member of the church just like any other member of the church. John represents the church and Jesus sends her to go live with John. You get to Acts chapter 2. She doesn't say anything. Nobody is asking her for prayer. Nobody is coming to her for advice. 
Nobody even is on record saying, tell me about your son Jesus. They didn't need Mary to tell you about Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible is for. That's what the Bible is for. And when Mary completed the job that she was called to do, it was done. It was over. It was finished. And again, Mary is an excellent role model for women, especially younger women. Uh, Mary is a um, beautiful picture of somebody that God says, do this, and she does it. And uh, we, we would all do well to be more like Mary. There is no doubt about that. She is a great Christian role model. But she's not the Savior, <laughs> not at all. And she's not the co-redemptrix. Uh, All right, let me give you an update on Bibles Behind Bars, and uh, so very exciting. You remember on the podcast on Monday, uh, right before the podcast, I had a phone call with Chaplain Ricardo Miguel, and um, he had sent me an email, and he said, um, after we spoke on the phone, he emailed me, and he said, it was great to finally connect with you. We spoke about Bibles and study materials for the inmates at Richland Correctional Institute, where I have worked as a chaplain and currently work as a correctional officer. I am excited and overwhelmed by your response to send 1,000 Bibles and study materials towards this ministry. And then he wrote Hebrews 6.10. Hebrews 6.10 says... For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. Well, after the podcast, a couple of days later, I got a phone call from the pastor of the church where Chaplain Ricardo is a member of. And it is the Wooster Bible Church in Ohio. And um, they are an on-fire, Bible-believing group of King James-only believers. And uh, he called me to thank me for sending them 1,000 King James Bibles. Now, what I didn't know, and this is what... um, Pastor Joe told me when we spoke on the phone. On November 18th, Wooster Bible Church is going to have evangelist David Spurgeon in for a series of meetings. And what an amazing timing that that turned out to be. Many of you know about the history and the testimony of Brother Spurgeon, very similar to Roy Bell. Um, But Roy Bell went to jail as a saved man. David Spurgeon got to be a saved man while in jail. Now, Brother Spurgeon wasn't even scheduled to preach at the Wooster Bible Church, but then he had an opening in his schedule and they 
And that made the space for him to come in and preach at Worcester on the 18th. And how amazing is it that at roughly the same time those 1,000 Bibles that we're sending them are going to arrive at the Worcester Bible Church that will be given out to inmates at the Richland Correctional Institution that Brother Spurgeon, who got saved in jail, is going to be preaching at that church. And uh, Pastor Joe told me that they're going to grab some of those Bibles and they're going to bring them up to the pulpit and they're going to pray over those Bibles uh, while Brother Spurgeon is preaching and giving his testimony about getting saved in jail. And how amazing is that? That you see how God works all these things out this morning. Lori and I were doing our Bible study in the book of Esther and it is amazing how God moves the pieces of the chessboard. He puts Mordecai here and Haman there and Esther over here and everybody is interacting with the king and all these things are taking place and you get to the book, the end of the book of Esther and you say to yourself, wow, look how God orchestrated all those things for his glory, for their good, in perfect and beautiful harmony. Well, that's kind of what God's doing with our Bibles Behind Bars program. He continues to give us amazing open doors into jails and prisons where there's no Bibles going in. And with the places that have Bibles, there's no King James Bibles. And what a blessing that it is that uh, God is using all of us at Now the End Begins to send Bibles behind bars, King James Bibles behind bars. So if you would like to help us to pay for these thousand Bibles that we sent out yesterday uh, to the Worcester Bible Church for the Richland Correctional Institution, um, please go to BiblesBehindBars.com and click on the donate button. Uh, We can't do it without you. We need your help. We need your support. We need your prayers. And if the Lord has prospered you, uh, we need you to click on that donate button and send us a donation um, so that we can continue to send out Bibles to places like Brian Kelly's Church in New York City and the Wooster Bible Church in Ohio and the Ader County Jail in Stillwell, Oklahoma and all these other places that God has given us an open door. Uh, please go to BiblesBehindBars.com and click on the link. God has been so good to all of us. And I think... Um, We're going to end the podcast today uh, on that note, a very high note, a very happy note. Um, I want you to think this weekend about the goodness of God, the mercy of God, and I want you to, to consider, if you're saved today, what an honor and a privilege that it is that you know the King personally, that you are part of His body. That's an amazing blessing. And the highest thing that we can do for the people around us 
is to give them that invitation to come and get saved. God is so good to us in our lives. Um, Meditate on that this weekend. And with that, we've come to the end of our time. Lord willing, we'll see you back here um, Sunday, 1 p.m. Eastern time for our Sunday service. Have a great weekend, everybody. I've had more gains than losses And I've known more joy than hurt As His grace rolled down upon me Undeserved For God's been good In my life I feel blessed beyond my wildest dreams When I go to sleep each night And though I've had my share of hard times I wouldn't change them if I could Cause through it all God's been good For God has been my Father My Savior and my Friend His love was my beginning And His love will be my end I could spend forever trying To tell you everything He is But the best way that I can say it Is this God's been good in my life. I feel so blessed beyond my wildest dreams when I go to sleep each night. And though I've 
had my share of hard times I wouldn't change them if I could Cause through it all God's been good In a world so filled with strife 